So we are continuing our series here tonight called The Inner Narrative. And isn't it interesting, the kinds of thoughts that we have throughout our week. Recently, my daughter Bryn and I were driving, and we had just a bunch of stuff we had to do, a bunch of errands to run, places to go. And one of the things we had to do was pick up some Chick-fil-A, of course. And then I had to go to the store. We had to get Bryn where she needed to go and, and get her back and all this kind of stuff. And so I'm driving down the street, and I get a text from my oldest son, Cade. Now, a lot of you guys know that if you text me, sometimes you get this like lightning report reply. It's like super quick. You're like, wow, Doug is really on his texting game today until you read the message and discover it's actually my auto reply because I'm driving, right? It just comes right back at you. And one of the things my auto reply says is, I'm so sorry I can't take your, your text or call right now, but if this is an emergency, text the word urgent through and you'll be able to get through to me, right? And so as I'm driving, all of a sudden, urgent comes through from my son, Kate. So, of course, my inner narrative starts going right to all the scary things that could be going wrong, you know? The house is on fire, my wife, something happened with her. Or, like, Kate's hiding under a bed, and someone broke in the house, and he got a phone, and he can see the people's feet getting closer and closer, you know? And so all those scary places. And so I open up the text, and here is what it says. Urgent. Dad, did you get barbecue sauce for the Chick-fil-A? I was like, ah, all right, that's the urgent inner narrative, I see. Now you can see what really takes over my son's inner narrative because it's passed down from his father. Chick-fil-A kind of controls mine as well. But it's interesting here in this series, we've been talking about those inner thoughts, those inner conversations that are always going in our mind, right? And here in this series, we've kind of learned a few things. First off, we learned that every single one of us has an inner narrative, an inner conversation or an inner dialogue going on. We've learned that those inner narratives are really powerful, Right? We've also learned that usually they're negative or destructive. And so if just left to themselves, default mode is for your inner narrative to kind of tear yourself apart or to feed a lot of fear or anger or hurt, right? And we've also, in this series, been trying to identify what our inner narratives are. What what is that driving conversation in your life if left to itself? And lastly, we've been talking about how to change it. And, And sort of the foundational idea for this series is this, is that we can change our inner narrative by preaching to our soul, by getting God's truth, truth and, and really grabbing a hold of them and preaching them and, and kind of cramming them down deep in our heart so that in those moments when we're tending to go to fear or we're tending to go to anger or we're tending to go to pain, instead we can say, no, 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 I'm going to stop that thought process and I'm going to fill my mind and preach to my soul the truths of God. And so I hope in this series you've begun to do that. I hope this is a, a habit you're, you're starting to form in your life. And two weeks ago I talked about the inner narrative of fear and how we beat that. And last week our worship pastor Andrew did a great job talking about those feelings of worthlessness in our life and how to kind of work at that. And he gave us some truths to kind of sink our teeth into for that. Now tonight I want to talk about another inner narrative that I think that we can all relate to. And that inner narrative is temptation. You see, if we were to plug your soul into a sound system, some of the lyrics of the song that would come out of your soul go like this. You are always going to struggle with this. You're never going to beat this temptation. This thing's going to own you for the rest of your life. You know what? You've messed up so much. You might just continue on. Why not go a little further? Or some of us, that temptation, that narrative goes like this. You know what? The sin that you are looking at is really truly going to satisfy you this time. And God has no idea what he's talking about when he tells you to stay away from this or that, right? And so I think we all know what it's like to wrestle with those thoughts sometimes, right? To start to believe those things that maybe God really doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe even though sin has let me down a thousand times in my life, maybe this is the time it'll finally come uh, come through, right? And so what does it look like for us to be able to look that narrative in the face and begin to change it, right? 
when it comes to the struggles we have, when it comes to gossip, when it comes to impurity or a party or addiction, when it comes to some of those cheating issues, those little gray areas, I, I, I'm going to take it. I'm going I'm to steal it. I don't even know if it's stealing, but you know, I probably shouldn't, but I will. And, and all those little things all the way up to the big things that really, truly devastate our lives. And so what does it look like to look at that inner narrative those thought processes and begin to change them. You see, here's why it's so important to talk about this because guys, your inner narrative is lying to you if it tells you that sin is gonna satisfy. Your inner narrative is lying to you if it's telling you that you are always gonna be owned by this thing. That's just simply not the truth. And so we have to begin to change that inner narrative. And so that's what I wanna help us do here tonight. And God's word really is gonna do all the heavy lifting for us. I'm just gonna point some stuff out. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. And my guess is you wrestle with temptation as well, don't you? And you know what? Maybe you didn't realize God wants to walk into that temptation struggle with you. That might sound really weird. Like maybe you almost thought like, you know, if on the other side of that curtain is your life, God must be on this side and he wants nothing to do with that side of the curtain, you know? with all those struggles and temptations. But I want you to see tonight, God would love to walk with you through your temptation. And even more than that, I want you to see what it actually looks like to follow Jesus. Because maybe a friend invited you, and you came in here, you're like, I'll go just to appease you, just to get you to shut up. But I'll tell you, I already know what this church stuff's all about. It's all about trying to please God. It's all about trying to do the right thing so that he's happy with you. Keeping the rules, right? Keeping the laws. Well, tonight we're going to see if that's actually the case or not. So we're going to look at a great, amazing, awesome psalm tonight. And we don't know who wrote this psalm. I really wish we did. But this is Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible. It has 176 verses. And we are going to look at every single one of them tonight. No, not at all. But, but 176 verses. And what's interesting about this is that throughout the entire psalm, you see this theme pop up. You see temptation talked about. You see sin brought up. You see falling short and going off the path that God has for us. But on the other hand, you see this other common thread through the entire psalm, and it's the word of God. So you've got temptation, sin, and struggle talked about, and then there's this interesting link to the word of God. Huh? Could the word of God have something to do with how we fight our temptation? In 176 verses, only five don't mention the word of God. And yet they all bring up this idea of this wrestling that we have and trying to do things God's way. Now I want to talk with you if you're an artsy type for a minute. The rest of you can take a little 30 second nap. But if you are like an artsy type, you're going to love this psalm because it's literally a work of art. It's actually called an alphabetic acrostic psalm. What does that mean? Well, here's how it plays out. Every section of eight verses starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So here's a picture up on the screen because I know you all read Hebrew. But on, 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 with the Hebrew, it's actually written opposite side of the screen or the page than we're used to. So look over on the right-hand side. Now those are the first eight verses of Psalm 119. And every single letter at the beginning there is circled because it's the same letter. And then the next eight verses would be the next letter all the way through the psalm. So the psalmist, really, this is written as a literary work of art. C.S. Lewis said this about it. He said, he compared this to a uh, piece of embroidery done stitch by stitch in the quiet hours for the love of the subject and for the delight in leisurely disciplined craftsmanship. So this is a work of art. But it's not just a work of art. It's a powerful work of art. Have you ever gone to a museum and just started to kind of take in the paintings? When I was in college, I went to the Guggenheim because I'm just that cultured. And I, as I, I'm walking through the Guggenheim, I'm looking at these amazing pictures. But then I saw something like this. 
I saw this picture, and I'm like, yo, when are they going to put the picture up, you know? And someone's like, oh, that is the picture. Isn't it deep? And I was like, no, it's empty. The guy even ran out of paint or ideas, but that's it, right? Right there. I mean, why are you talking like this, right? And so as I'm walking through, like, that doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't move me. But then you go a few feet to the left or right, or you go upstairs, and you see this work of art, and you can't even speak. It's that powerful. And I'm telling you guys, Psalm 119 is not just pretty on the outside, there's great depth and power to it. And so we're going to look at this and talk about how to overcome this battle with temptation. Psalm 119 verse 1 says this, Blessed are those whose, walk, I'm sorry, whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Now you and I read those verses and we say, see, that's the problem. I I can't do that. Like, I don't do that. I don't follow his ways all the time. And that's the problem. And then the inner narrative starts to go, you're always going to fail at this. You're never going to keep his word. You're never going to follow his precepts. And maybe you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you're here tonight and you are a follower of Jesus. And we take our eyes off this. This, this is something that we can trip over a little bit. We look at some verses like this and we say, I don't get it. It looks like the writer here has it all together. It looks like he's perfect. And it looks like to have a relationship with God is really about keeping rules. So, so why does the writer say this, right? Because this is where we start to really struggle in that inner narrative. Well, see, here's why the writer is saying this. He is not saying that we should keep the rules and follow God's way because it'll make us saved. Look at the first word on the screen. It doesn't say saved are those who keep his statutes, right? It says blessed are those who keep his statutes. You see, being saved is a whole different conversation. Being saved is all about what Jesus did in our place on the cross to rescue us. It's a gift. So then why did the writer write this? Because the writer wants us to not only be saved, but be blessed. You see, when you and I begin to discover, when we do things God's way, there is great blessing in it. There is great blessing when you and I look at God's ways and we say, God, I, I want to keep your way. Well, why would I want to keep his way? Because I am his, because I'm loved, because it pleases him, because he sacrificed everything for me. So truly, guys, when I try to do the right thing, it is not so that I hope God will pat me on the back and go, okay, buddy, now you're getting a little closer. When I want to do the right thing, when I turn my eyes away from the screen when something comes up, when I decide to you know, try to make sure that that anger that can come out of me sometimes is, is really surrendered to God, the reason I'm doing it is because I love Jesus so much. And I want to please him because he's so good to me. You see, on the front side, he was good to you and me. So now, now that we're saved, now that we're loved, now that we're his, we can aim at obeying him. We can aim at honoring him. And if that weren't enough, his commands are good and good for us. Because blessed are those who keep his statutes, right? But how do we do it? How do we overcome the temptation? Well, look at verse 5. We're going to continue the conversation here. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. So the writer here just lets on something. I'm not perfect either. Maybe in verses one through three, he's saying, you thought I had it all together. But the truth is, is I fall short too, the psalmist is saying. And it leads me to shame. Now here's where a lot of us are stuck. A lot of us are not overcoming our temptation because we're stuck in our shame. We're stuck in our inner narrative right now that's saying, see, I told you you're a screw up. I told you you're never going to get it right. 
And we always preach that to ourselves all day. We're driving to work, we're driving to school. You're a screw up, you're a failure. Remember that shameful thing you've done, right? And we get stuck right here. But the beautiful thing is the reason we can learn from this writer of Psalm 119 is because he doesn't get stuck here. He moves on in his inner conversation. Verse 7, he says, I will praise you with an upright heart as I what? As I learn your righteous laws. See, here's the thing. The writer knows this. I am not perfect, but I am growing. I am learning your righteous laws. I am learning your ways, God. And here's what a lot of us in the room have come to understand, that if you've been following Jesus for a while, you are not who you used to be. Though you are not perfect, though you still fall short, you are not who you used to be. You're starting to change, aren't you? You're starting to change a little bit. There's a little bit of a difference between you this month and you last month. There's there's a good bit of difference between you this year and you last year. Isn't that incredible? God's at work because why? You're in process. And if there's a starting point for us to change our inner narrative, it's right here. It's when we start to condemn ourselves and, and talk about our shame and how we'll never get out of this temptation. And instead we say, you know what? I'm gonna stop that narrative and instead I'm gonna preach to my soul that I am in process, that God is working on my life, that I am learning his righteous ways. I'm gonna tell you that is powerful. So several years ago, our staff did some personality testing. It's really helpful just to learn a little bit more about yourself and the people you work with and how to get along a little bit better and, and how to work together at your best, uh, you know, best facility. And, and so as you're kind of learning about yourself, I, I learned who I am. I, they, they gave me this name. I'm called an achiever. An achiever. An achiever is someone who loves to get stuff done. An achiever is somebody who loves to, to cross stuff off a list. In fact, I'm so messed up that if I accomplish something but I hadn't written it down on a list yet, I'll write it down just so I could cross it out. So please pray for me, okay? <laughs> but that's how much I love to just, yes, I'm nailing it. I'm getting stuff done. Like, I, I love that, right? But do you know what? There, I, I didn't see this advertised on the cover of the book, but, but guess what? They also tell you the weakness to your strength in the book. And so guess what mine is? As an achiever, I am professional. I'm a professional at beating myself up when I can't cross something off the list, when I don't get it right, when I don't cross a temptation off the list. I am so great at getting stuck in my own shame. And yet the psalmist here is saying, wait, 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 wait. Start to preach to your soul that you're in process, that you are learning those righteous laws, that you are growing, that God is not done with you yet. I'm telling you, it's powerful. The next time those words come out of your mouth about the shame you're stuck in and the failure that you are, change the narrative. Begin to talk about the process that you're in. Verse eight, I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. And some of us in this room have believed a lie. We are not asking God not to utterly forsake us because we assume he already has. Because he's sick of us. He's sick of our failures. How many times have we been here at church and we've told God, never again will I do that thing. And then we are out the door, what, a half hour and we go and do it. And we just figure he's sick of us. And so we're not even asking God, don't utterly forsake me. We're just kind of going, you must have by now. But it's time to change that inner conversation. Verse nine, this is one of the most relevant questions we could ask in 2019. I would guess that if we polled the entire church all day long, this would be the number one struggle that we all wrestle with when it comes to temptation. Look what it says. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? And we could just take that word young out of there. How can a person stay on the path of purity? I mean, gosh, our staff was talking the other day about how, how hard it is right now, man. 
How hard is that we have the whole world on a device in our pocket? And then we have like two or three other devices with the whole world on it. When I was a kid, if I wanted to watch something shady, I had to like find a certain store that sold certain shady stuff. Bryn, don't listen to this part. And uh, I would have to find a little corner in the back of the room. And if I were caught back there, I'd be in big trouble, right? But now it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's all around us. And so how can we possibly stay on the path of purity? How can we fight this temptation in our lives in 2019? And I'll tell you what culture tells us. Culture will just tell us, don't worry about the path of purity. Are you seriously believe there's a path of purity? Like, like what God says matters? Don't worry about that. Just do what feels right. Do what feels good. But you know what? If we live long enough, and I would guess almost every one of us in this room have, we find something out. We find out that when we get off the path of purity, it leads to the death of a lot of things. Intimacy, relationships, marriages, innocence, purity, right? And so, man, I think we've all lived enough life to know that we want to stay on that path of purity. Sure, there are moments that we're trying to run off it because, again, we're just in that intense temptation. But I think if we all could just sit and talk about it realistically and rationally, we would all say, man, if there is a path of purity, I want on that thing because I know I'm going to be blessed. I know that's going to bless my, my current relationship or my future marriage or my current marriage. Or Man, I just know that's where I belong, and I know that I really struggle here. I would guess that's what a lot of us would say. So how do we stay on the path of purity? Look at what he says. Psalm 119, talking about God's word. He says, by living according to your word. First things first, I love that he responds like this. Do you know why? Because he doesn't say, how can we stay on the path of purity? We can't. He doesn't say, good luck with that. Let's talk about something realistic now. No, he says, here's how, by living according to God's word. And so I just want to encourage you and let you know tonight that while we may not get this perfectly over the course of our life, we can live on the path of purity. We might stumble off a little bit here. We might trip and stub our toe and maybe take a step off it for a half second and come back on. But it is possible by God's grace to live on the path of purity even in 2019. And so let's start there. But secondly, I love that he points us to God's word. See, here's what the psalmist is saying. I struggle with the path of purity too. How can I do this? How can we get this right? I guess we're going to have to look to the word of God and begin to learn those righteous laws and get them deep in our heart. And when we do, we're going to begin to see everything change. How powerful. How powerful the word of God is. Guys, i got to tell you something. And this is sad, like, really to everybody. My own heart, we all need to hear this today. But we have to stop think, thinking that we're doing God a favor when we read our Bible. And we have to start realizing that when we read our Bible, we are doing something transformational for our soul. We have to stop thinking, wow, God, man, I'm going to be that good person, that good guy or girl today, and just spend that moment with you, and I'm sure you're going to be so happy with me. We have to get that all out of our head. He wants us there. He loves us. He's always calling us closer, always, always, always. But we have to realize we are the ones who benefit when we open up the Word of God. When we begin to sit down and say, I'm going to take this seriously. God, what do you want to say to me? And what is this powerful thing going to do to transform my soul? Verse 10, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Does anybody in here tonight just need to pray that prayer? 
Oh God, don't let me stray from your commands. Don't let me get off that path of purity. Don't let me get off that path of, of holiness. And so I'm falling into gossip. I'm falling into jealousy. I'm falling into all that stuff. God, keep me on the path of your commands. Well, why? God, why should I stay on that path of your commands? Well, can we just jump ahead for a second and look at verse 29. Look what he says. Keep me from deceitful ways. You know what that tells me about our sin? You know what that tells me about the stuff we find off the path of purity? It's deceitful. It's lying to us. It's always promising something it won't deliver. Look a little further in verse 37. He says, turn my eyes away from worthless things. So the things off God's path for us are literally worthless, deceitful and worthless. But let's look a little bit further and see what happens when we're on the path of God. I will walk about in freedom for I have sought out your precepts. Isn't that interesting? So sin is lying to us and worthless, but we find freedom when we start to walk on the path of purity as we look at God's words. Isn't that incredible, right? So some of us walked in tonight saying, I don't want to do things God's way because I'm going to lose all my freedom. Or will you find it, right? Right where he is. Right where he's calling you and me to. A little further, all your commands are trustworthy. Can we just run a little, a little test here? And I would gauge it about half the room has decided to play along all day long. And that's fine. If half of you play along right now, that's a wonderful thing. But if we could all just have fun with this for a second. If you, so far to this point in your life, have found that while sin is fun for a minute or five minutes or even a little season, but then it destroys and does not satisfy on what it promised on. Can you just raise your hand real quick? Powerful. This is not anybody in this room coerced into saying this. There's not anybody in this room here today, you know, oh, let me say the right answer. I'm in church. No, this is us living a real life in a real world saying, man, sin lies. But in God, I find freedom. In God, I find that satisfaction. His ways are trustworthy. All right, so you're finally like, all right, Doug, can we just get to it here, man? Because I want to do things God's ways. I'm seeing my ways empty. I'm seeing sin is deceitful. But how do I really do it? Well, this is the most beautiful part of this chapter. Verse 11. It's really, this could be one of the, the championed verses for this series. Look what he says. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word. I've taken it, God. I have devoured it, so to speak. I've, I'm speaking it. It's on my heart. It's on my lips. It's on my mind. It's here, God, hidden away that I might not sin against you. And this is so important because of the world that we live in, right? Because you will be walking through the halls at school or work this week and someone will say something, some joke, it's hysterical, but it's really perverted and you're so tempted to laugh and then come back with something funny but more perverted. And what you could do in that moment is take out your phone, I guess, and try to Google a few verses on standing up to temptation. But that's probably not gonna work so well. Probably what you really need is the word of God already hidden in your heart so that you can speak it out, just even preach it quietly to your heart. I'm not gonna go there, I'm not gonna go there. God's way's better. He satisfies, that sin is so deceitful, right? Or you'll be hanging out with some friends and suddenly something comes up on the screen and everybody goes, oh wow, check her out. Check him out. And again, man, you could try to get your phone out and Google a verse on purity, or you could have it deep in your heart. And you can just preach it even silently to your soul. And say, I'm not going to buy into that deceit today. I'm going to stand for purity. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to look the other way. They can laugh. 
They can make fun of me. But do you know what? I will walk in freedom. I will walk in freedom. And so where are you in all of this? Do you have God's word hidden in your heart? Do you have it down deep? Or do you kind of open the Bible once in a while to do God a favor? Man, we're missing out if that's our approach. He so badly wants to transform our souls. And the psalmist here is telling us that his strategy to overcoming sin is to have the word of God hidden deep in his souls that he might not sin against God. So here's what I need you to know today. I think if we summarize all this and we kind of give you a bottom line that hopefully you'll remember throughout the week, it's this. God's word is our great, greatest weapon against temptation. God's word is our greatest weapon. Listen, I'm all for community. I think sometimes when we come together and we surround one another, we can carry each other through sin battles. Absolutely. I'm all for accountability. I'm all for us confessing our sin one to another that we would find healing. I'm all for that. It's powerful. The Holy Spirit's inside of you. Amazing. But the greatest weapon God has given us is his word. And it is powerful. And it is transformational. And so will you grab a hold of that this week? Because when you do, you will discover God's ways. You'll begin to know, oh, this is what I should aim at. Not aim at because I want to be saved, but aim at it because I love him. And I also, I want to be blessed in him and by him. And so that is where we begin to discover that. And also we begin to find that stuff that can transform that inner narrative. Where we can say, you know what, I may be messing up right now, but I'm in process. I may feel some shame today, but God is working on me. I'm not who I used to be, and this is not going to own me forever. And I'm just going to preach to my soul that truth, that God's way is right, that his way is good, and that what he says about sin and what he says about freedom is true. And so when you preach that to your soul, God's word is powerful, it's literally called in the Bible, the living word of God. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, that little phrase there before. The living word of God. And it is powerful. And so you're not just reading a book. I hope you know that. You're just not reading a book when you open up the Bible, when you memorize the Bible, when you get it deep in your heart. It's not like reciting some kind of you know, chant that's going to help you fall asleep at night. Like It is powerful and transformational. I just want to remind you of what I brought up there in the first series, Joe Levante's professor at college who was encouraging his students and to walk in purity and walk on that path of purity made this statement. If you remember, the guys who are winning the battle against porn are the guys who are memorizing scripture. I'm telling you guys, if you can stand as, as an adult professor and look at a group of guys who are wrestling with the same thing and you literally can almost draw a line in the sand and say, okay, here are the ones memorizing the word of God and here are the ones who are not and here are the ones who are really battling and finding great victory in this fight of, over porn and here are the ones who are still stumbling. Then, you want to tell me the word of God is not powerful? So man, we got to get it in our hearts. We got to get it deep inside our hearts. But here's the thing, you have to decide to do this, right? Because I can't follow you to work in school this week and try to preach to you. I mean, we'd, that'd be annoying for both of us, right? I can't be going to all your classes this week or, or show up, you know, in your cubicle. It'd be creepy, right? I, like, that's not going to happen. So we have to decide that we're going to preach to our own souls, okay? I don't know if you guys have seen this show. My family and I stumbled upon this. We were a little creeped out at first, but, but it actually ended up being a pretty cool show. And the mass Singer... 
is where all these people put on these weird outfits and then they sing and they're celebrities. So they were football players, they were like former artists and former uh, musicians and former you know, actors and actresses and they'd be up on the stage singing and, and it was like American Idol but you didn't know who it was and so they'd compete and then when they got voted off, they'd get unmasked and then you'd be able to see who it was and it was always the coolest thing and we got a couple of them right and when I say we, I mean Kelly got a couple of them right as we were guessing along. And you know what? I got to say here today, I, I want to unmask the most important preacher in your life. And I don't want to bring out John Piper or Beth Moore or Stephen Furtick or any of those other people in a weird costume, as fun as that might be. What I want you to realize is, I want you to realize that you're the one being unmasked tonight. If I'm going to unmask the greatest, most powerful preacher in your life, I have to hand each of you a mirror. Because you're the one who's going to preach the word of God to your soul, day and night, in and out. And you're the one that's going to see that transformation take place as you do that. And so let me give you some verses. I would really encourage you, take your phone out, take a picture of the screen as these go up, or write down, write down the verses. And so you're ready to go, man. So you have this deep in your heart so that it's, it's in there that you might not sin against God. I mean, think about it. You can almost paraphrase that verse to say, I have preached your truths to my soul that I might not sin against God. I have preached God's word to my inner narrative that I might not sin against God, Right? But let's get to some of these verses real quick. I'm going to rattle these off nice and quick. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Can I just encourage you for a minute? If you are struggling with something tonight, you are not alone. You think that. That's, that's the enemy's little thing, man. The enemy loves to whisper that in your ear. You are so perverted that you struggle with this. You are so disgusting that this is what you're going through right now. And, and no one else. You think the other people at the church struggle with this stuff? They don't. Not true. No temptation has come to you or overtaken you except what is common to mankind. But God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. See, the inner narrative so often says, I'm being tempted beyond what I can bear. I cannot overcome this. And here is God telling us, no, 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 no. That never happens. It's an impossibility. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There's always a way out. We believe the lie that we're stuck. No, there's always a way out. And so what would happen if you got that in your heart and you walked through school or work with that ready to go, locked and loaded at any moment to be that great weapon against temptation this week? Matthew 6, 13, Jesus taught us to pray this. I love this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What if you prayed that? What if you spoke that out when you begin to feel that temptation come on you? It's powerful. Romans 8, 5. This is deep. I almost did a whole part of a series on this, but it's so transformational. Those who live according to the flesh or those desires we all have, you know, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Super clear. If you have your mind set on those things that you just kind of want, then that's what you're going to end up living for. But if you instead set your mind on what God's Spirit wants and desires, you're going to begin to find your life change. And it's all inner narrative stuff. It's all what's deep in your heart, the Word of God, getting it in there. Philippians 2.13, the last one. For it is God, I love this, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Does anybody in this room have trouble willing or wanting to do the right thing? Does anybody in this room, even if you want or will to do the right thing, then struggle to act on doing the right thing? 
Because here in this verse, we discover something. It is not you who changes your will or your ability to act. It is God who does it. Imagine preaching that to your soul this week when, man, you are feeling so tempted to go down that same road and you're like, wait, wait, wait. God, you are the one who will change my wants. And once you change those wants in my heart, you're the one who will enable me to act in order to fulfill your good purpose. Those are some general verses on temptation. Get them in your heart. Get one or two or all four in your heart. And I would encourage you, if you have a specific struggle, which I guess you do, if there is an addiction thing going on, if there is an anger thing, a, a hate thing, a cheating thing, if there's a temptation and purity, you know, struggle getting off that path, any, anything you wrestle with, man, there is a verse for. Just Google whatever it might be. Grab a promise book on the way out tonight and they're listed by category. And so if you're going through something, I'm telling you right now, there is a verse in the word of God to become that ammunition against your greatest temptation just close with this story. One day, a shepherd was out with his flocks, and, and he noticed as he was walking near the side of this cliff that there was just this little creek kind of running off the cliff. And he looked down, and, and, and the creek was very small, so it was just tiny little drip after drip that would head down to the rocks below. And he found this, this huge boulder, like a huge full boulder, but it had been all burrowed out. And he's looking at this like, this is crazy. That little drip was able to go over the edge there and make its way through the hardness of that rock. And then he discovered something. And this is what he says about it. If mere water can do this to hard rock, how much more can God's word carve away into my heart of flesh? And he thought about something that was really brilliant. He realized that if the water had rushed all over at once and fallen down on the rock, it would have hit the rock and then just dispersed. But what was it that made its way down deep into that hard rock? What was it that broke through the surface and went deep down? It was that day by day, even moment by moment, constant drip of the water. And you know, I think sometimes we think, you know what, if I go on a retreat or if I go to a conference and man, the word of God and the power of God falls on my life all at once, it'll just change everything. It'll wash everything. It'll break my hard heart all apart. And while conferences and retreats are great, and yes, God uses them, I'm going to tell you right now, what you need more than that is the moment by moment, day by day, constant drip of the word of God that will penetrate that heart of flesh. And that will come when you say, you know what? I'm going to preach the truth of, of God to my soul. I'm going to change the inner narrative of temptation. And I I'm going to hide his word deep in my heart that I might not sin against him. Because God's word is my greatest weapon against temptation. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today, have you seen what following him is all about? Have you seen it's not about keeping a bunch of rules perfectly so that God wants you. God wants you before you lift a finger. He loves you so much. Jesus wants a relationship with you and that's why he died and suffered in your place and rose back from the dead to rescue you. And if you want to put your trust in him, then, then he begins this relationship with you and you begin to discover that he is with you and he wants in on those temptations and he crosses over the other side of that curtain and walks right into the midst of them with you. But he also equips you with his word, with the Bible, which is powerful and will make all the difference for you. 
And so I'd love for you to put your trust in Jesus tonight. You can pray with me in just a minute if you'd like to do that. But I hope tonight, Christians, we are ready to move forward. We're getting into a habit now. This is week four. We're starting to understand that this narrative can and should and will be changed by the power of the word of God preached deep in our soul. God's word is your greatest weapon against temptation. Let's pray together. God, we love you. And we thank you so much that you love us, you want us, you have crossed over into our lives, God, to walk with us in the midst of our temptations, to empower us, God, to cause us to live another way. And so, God, would you just go deep in our hearts? Would you let your word burrow deep into the depths of those places of our hearts that sometimes can be as hard as a boulder? And God, would you allow your word to penetrate it and bring the change that we so badly need? If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to pray right now about your greatest temptation. What is that number one thing in your life? I want you to ask God to really make you serious about it. And maybe you're like, but Doug, that verse was about me. That last verse, I don't have the will. I don't want to change right now. Then that's the honest conversation with God right now. God, I don't want to let go of my porn. God, I don't want to stop using horrible language. God, I don't want to stop telling perverted jokes. God, I don't want to stop cheating, stealing, lying, gossiping. I don't want to. So God, would you, it's you who works in me to will, God. Would you change me tonight, God? Would you let your word begin to change that inner narrative? If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, I'd love for you to pray with me now. You could just pray quietly and silently like this. Jesus, thank you so much that you have come for me, that you desire a relationship with me, that my sin has not scared you, that my sin is not too great a barrier between you and I, but that you died on the cross to remove that barrier from me. Jesus, show me what it is to follow you. And God, help me to love your word. God, help me to find the freedom that it promises, the satisfaction that it promises that I've been looking for my whole life. God, thank you for this gift of salvation. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, there's two things I would ask you to do. First off, I would love for you to let us know that you prayed that prayer so that we can help you take some next steps and continue to grow in your relationship with Jesus. I'd love for you to check off on the back of your connection card that you recently put your trust in him or on the app. You can do the same thing or you can pull one of us aside after the service. But I'd also love for you to just look me in the eye right now if you're willing to do that so that I could be praying for you this week. Is there anybody that put their trust in Jesus for the first time tonight? I see you. I see you. Awesome. Awesome. Anybody else? Awesome. I see you. Anybody else here? So God, we thank you so much for what you've done. Just keep people close to you, God. Amen.